Today, how, how many of you have ever, ever tried to just jump into or get into cold water? Okay. Isn't that a painful experience? Okay. It, it's something that you can't do slowly, is it? You kind of just have to jump in or else it's just difficult. The same thing is with like deep water. Same thing with deep water. A lot of times you can't just kind of ease your way into deep water. You just kind of have to jump. All right. I know you guys are all just coming off a of spring break, and I know you have, you know, normally you're used to sermons coming with these intros that kind of ease your way into the sermon. I got to tell you, today we're just going to jump into some deep and cold water, and we're just going to plunge into the scripture. Because there's no way to easily get into the scripture and kind of transition our way into the scripture today. So today we're jumping into some cold and deep water. Now, with that, I'm going to ask you bow with me again to pray because I want the Lord to really open up these scriptures today as we get into them. And I just want to ask for him to really open your hearts and your minds as we get into the word. Father, I just um, I thank you and I praise you that we have the opportunity to come together and study your word. Um, God, I just I ask that as we, we seek to know you more, as we seek to grow up in who you are, that you would take us into these deep waters, into these cold waters, and that you would open our hearts and our mind to see you for who you are, that you would just reveal to us the truth of your scripture, and that your Holy Spirit would convict us of what we need to do with it as we get into your word. God, I just thank you for this time, and I thank you for those who have gathered here, that you have brought us to this place to fellowship together today. We ask these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right, today we are going to be getting into, if we can get PowerPoint up. Okay, gotcha. All right, today we're going to be getting into Hebrews 7, all right? Hebrews 7 is, is, is a chapter that is some pretty deep water because it's not always clear to everyone who gets into it. So I would invite you guys to open your Bible up to Hebrews 7, Hebrews chapter 7. Now, to begin with, what I'm going to do to kind of intro this is to go back and just Chapter, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, and we don't really need the PowerPoint anyways. So in chapter 6, 19 is where I'm going to start reading, if you want to just catch me a couple of verses beforehand, because I want to introduce the two main ideas of what we're going to talk about today, and they're introed in verse 19 and 20. It says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. All right, everybody look up real quick. The two things we're going to look at in chapter 7, the two main topics of chapter 7 are going to be Melchizedek and Jesus as high priest. All right, these two concepts. Now, these are kind of deep and difficult concepts to really get into. Who's Melchizedek? Anybody ever heard of him? All right. Well, I wasn't, that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> but, okay. He's not mentioned, he's not one of the main people we think about when we get into scripture. He's actually only mentioned twice before we get, twice in all the Bible before we get in to Hebrews, okay? First is Genesis 14, Genesis 14, 17 through 20, all right? You can look that up. It's in your bulletin if you want to go back and read the story. But to give you just a quick overview, 
what, what the case is, this is the story of Abraham and his nephew Lot. Okay? They had left Ur and they had gone. They had gone to Canaan, the promised land that had, promised to, had been promised to Abraham. Okay? They had gone there. They had become very successful, so successful that they had split up and gone their own separate ways. And, and Lot had gone towards Sodom and taken the land towards Sodom. Abraham had gone in the opposite direction. Basically, they had just been very successful. Now, as goes on in the Middle East, there were kings fighting, if you can imagine that. Um, and kings were fighting over the land. And actually, the king of Sodom went out to fight a battle and was defeated by another group of kings. And so when the king was defeated, the rest of those kings came through. And what did they do? They plundered Sodom. Okay, they took all the land or all the, the wealth and they took all the food and all those things. And they also took Lot and his descendants. Okay, because they were living so close, they just kind of took all of his uh, cattle, everything that he had, and went off. Okay, Abraham heard about this, takes 318 of his men, and what four or five kings couldn't do, he does as he chases down, defeats those kings, takes all that plunder back, and brings it back towards Sodom, um, and, and rescued his cousin, or his nephew, not cousin, his nephew, um, his nephew Lot. So as he does that, he comes to what is called the Valley of Sheva, and the king of Sodom came out, and also this character, Melchizedek, who is king of Salem, all right? And Melchizedek comes out and he meets. If you look in chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. It says, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, all right? So what he does is he comes out into this valley. He meets Abraham it, this is an interesting side note when you get into Genesis. He brings bread and wine to Abraham. He brings bread and wine, and he gives it to them, and then he blesses him. All right? He didn't bring fruit and water. He didn't bring meat and milk. He brought bread and wine. Now, when we think about Christ and what this whole picture is, think of the significance of that one little thing. When we think about communion later today, there's this whole foreshadowing in Melchizedek, and that's what I'm going to get to when we look at Melchizedek, is that what we are seeing in Scripture, why he is mentioned here, is that he is a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. He is not Christ in the Old Testament. He is not an angel. He is, he's just a man. But he is a picture of part of who Christ is. All right? He is a picture of Christ as high priest. All right? Now, what does that mean? Now, when I say picture, let's think about this. We know of multiple pictures in the Old Testament that point us towards Christ. Anybody heard of the Passover and the blood on the doors? Anybody seen King of Egypt or whatever that cartoon is? Uh, uh, Prince of Egypt, that's what it's called, okay. Um, we know that, that that blood over the door was a picture of the blood Christ would eventually sacrifice, would give for us to be passed over, okay, in death. All right? There's a bunch of other pictures of this. Actually, Jonah in the well. Christ will actually say, just as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the, the grave for three days. That's a picture of Christ's death and resurrection. All right? There's all these pictures throughout all the Old Testament that point us towards Christ. Melchizedek is one of those pictures. Okay? Now, the, the, the whole chapter 7 in Hebrews is going to show that. All right? And it's going to be spent doing that in these first few verses on specifically down verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to read just the first few and point out some different points. All right? Um, <clears throat> so 
We're going to pick up in two. It says, And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now that is talking about Melchizedek. Now, here's the thing. Melchizedek was, if you go back, this is some just, as you break it down in that first verse, it says, this Melchizedek, the king of Salem and priest of God most high. This is interesting. This God most high that he's talking about is not Yahweh. That is not the name Yahweh that was for the Israel, like the Israel personal name of God. It was El Elyon, which was God the creator. Okay. Now, if you can imagine this, this king from Salem, and Salem is Jerusalem, Okay, Salem is Jerusalem. That's the other name for Jerusalem. There is a king living in Jerusalem before Abraham that was priest of God Most High. This means this man is living off the promises of Noah or what the story about God from Noah. He is a priest before all of the Jewish tribes and all the father Abraham got his promise. Okay, why is that significant? If Jesus is a priest like him, it means that he is just not a priest for the Jews. Jesus was not just for the Jews. He was for everyone, everywhere. If he is like Melchizedek, who came before the Jewish system ever existed, okay, Abraham still had not had a son, all right? We don't, we don't have, the promise is not fulfilled yet in Abraham. Jesus is before that. So he is a different, or Melchizedek is before that. So when we think of him as a picture of Christ, Christ is not just for the Jews, that's one of the main points he's trying to bring out here. Now, if you're also to bring down one of the things it says is that he was king of righteousness and he was king of Salem. Now, to hear the words king and priest in the same sentence for someone from the Jewish tradition was practically blaspheme. It's the same kind of with our country. You wouldn't hear President Obama, senior pastor of Cornerstone Community Church, would you? You would not hear that in this country, all right? You would not hear that. And that was the same for the Jews. The kings were over the civil authority. Actually, the fact that they didn't want God leading them is why they asked for a king. Okay, And the priests were over the spiritual authority of a country. And so when you heard king and priest of the Most High God, these Jews were saying, that doesn't jive. But Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, and he is also our high priest. Now, in understanding the importance of that, saying, what was the purpose of the priest? Okay, for the people of Israel, the priests were the only way they got to God. It was the priest that gave them forgiveness of sins, all right? It was the priests, it was the priest who communicated and talked with God. The only way they related to God was through the priests. And so, for them, the priesthood was the highest thing you could be. All right. So when you start talking about Jesus as priest, and we'll talk some more about this as we get into this, when you start talking about it, it is the way they relate to God. It is the way that we interact with him. Now, the other thing that Melchizedek shows when it says, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or end of days, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. All right. Now, when we talk about Melchizedek, the big question a lot of people have is, is this guy, you know, is he not dead? Okay. No, that's, it's, again, this is a picture. The reason they talk about that is in Genesis. If you were to look through, and even through all Jewish tradition, genealogies telling who your parents were is fundamental to them. Melchizedek shows up in Genesis with no reference to his lineage. 
and he disappears with no reference to what happened to him. Think about those endless genealogies in Genesis that track everyone from Noah all the way down. It is something for them that was important. Who's your, who's your daddy, okay? <laughs> Just to be truth, truthful, okay? And so one of the things that this is pointing to is that, yes, for Melchizedek, we just don't know. He was a man, he was born, and he died. But in Scripture, it doesn't say that, right? All we see is this one picture of him, and he's gone. So he's making an implication. This is something that they would do. He's making an implication, showing this picture that Christ lives forever, okay? This is the kind of high priest that he is. Now, one of the other reasons that's important when you think about it as a priest and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later too, is that priests in the Jewish tradition served from age 25 to age 50, and then they were done. And then you got, you got another priest and another high priest. And, and so it was a very temporary thing, right? They were beginning to show that Jesus is a priest eternally. It never changes. There's nothing that comes after. And this is the picture we are wanting to, to paint with this chapter talking about Melchizedek. Now, with all that, all right, one of the other reasons this is so vitally important, I've been using the word priest, I've been talking about the importance of the priesthood and Jesus' role as our high priest, is that there is nowhere else in scripture outside of Hebrews that teaches us about Christ as our high priest. All right, so when we study this, there's something very important for us to get about how we relate to God through Christ our high priest and what that means for us in the way that we relate to God. And we're going to kind of conclude with looking at that a little bit more. Now, when you get on into basically the rest of the chapters, looking starting in verse 11, I want to skip through, skip down to verse 11. What you're going to be seeing is that he is making the argument to these Hebrews. Remember, these Hebrews are so tied. The whole book of Hebrews is written to people who are wanting to go back into Judaic practices, okay? That's what he's writing to. And so what he's making is an argument to say that Jesus is greater than the priesthood and the law. Jesus is greater than the priesthood and the law. So if you pick up with me in verse 11, it says this. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the law was given to the people, why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Now, if you skip on down, I want to pick up and show one other verse where it says in verse 18 and then the first half of 19, it says this. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. All right, when he said these statements, those two verses, three verses, these Jews are going, what in the world did he just say? But let's look back and break these down a little bit. It says, if perfection, and that word is the word that we've been talking about all semester, can be translated completeness or maturity. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the law, on its basis, the law was given to the people. Okay? I want to talk about this for a little bit. Again, do you guys know what? I've already kind of said it. I want to see if you've caught it. What, what did a priest do? What was the role of the priest? Okay, make intercession for the people. The basic idea of the priest was to get people to God, to be there in between, to get them back in right relationship with God. That's what a priest did, okay? So if we were to say, 
A cook cooks, an athlete competes, a musician plays, a teacher teaches, a priest gets people to God. All right? Now, God in, in the Old Testament gave them one main tool to get people to God, and that was the law. Okay? That was the law, and that was 618, Jewish scholars say, around 618 different rules that you had to follow exactly the right way. Now, I don't know about you. I can't keep 618 things in my mind all the time, all right? If we were to really look at it, almost every single person that would ever walk on this, not almost, every single person besides one on this whole earth that has ever lived would probably break the most basic 10 and would probably break them on a regular basis if we were just to talk about the 10 commandments. Now I could do a check and have you all stand up and I could start with, you know, thou shalt not murder. And you might say, oh, I haven't done that. But then think about how Christ interpreted that. Anyone who has hate in his heart for another. Now I hopefully, not, hopefully there would be some that would still be standing that could say I've never hated anyone but, um, or something but I would highly doubt that most of us could really be honest with ourselves and say we've met that, that implication of that law, okay? So the idea here was the priests were supposed to get people to God, and they were supposed to use the law to get people to God. Could they do it? No, they couldn't do it. It was not going to cut it. There was no one. In Romans 3.20, it says no one will gain righteousness through the law, Okay? No one will gain righteousness through the law. It's impossible. We cannot be made right with God through the law. All right? And so what it says down there in verse 18, that former regulation, former regulation is the law. It is set aside because it is weak and useless. That word weak means deficiency of all kinds, opposite of strong and capable. Okay? The law was weak. It was deficient in all areas. Right? It could not get you back to God. The one thing it was supposed to do, right? it could not get it back there. That word useless has kind of a, uh, it has a, a, an investment type language. Anyone know what ROI is? It's investment language. Any business accounting people, anything? Return on investment, okay? It's, it's this idea of return on investment. What, and the laws return on the investment, just to let you know if you're going to have, and that's kind of the interest you make off investments that you make, the return on the law was zero, nothing. It got you nothing, all right? All it did is tell you that you can't, you can't make it. And the whole point of the law was to point us to Christ as our high priest, our only hope for actually being in the right relationship with God. Okay, so what it comes down to when you begin to look at this, and, and, and this is where you see that Jesus is what guarantees our relationship with God. Now look at, with me at verse 16. It's where we begin to see this. Now one who has become a priest, not on the basis, well, let's see, let's see here. I'll go back to 15. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Now, let me. this is a quick side note. The priest of, of the Jews, do you know the way they became priests? 
It just all had to do with what family they were born into. It had nothing to do with they lived a holy life. It had nothing to do necessarily, yes, they were supposed to. It didn't have to do with if they loved God. It didn't have to do with anything other than the fact that they were born into the family of Levi and met certain physical, dis- physical um, quality checks, basically. Okay, That's all the priesthood meant. That was all you, the only way you became a priest. Now, we're talking about Jesus, and it is about his life, his indestructible life that makes him high priest. And because of that life, that sinless life that he lived, all right, it now goes on down. If you look down the second half of 18, the second half of 18, where, or 19, it says, For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. All right, what was the goal of a priest? To bring people back to God. What does Jesus do? He allows us to draw near to God. This is his purpose. This is what Christ came to do, is to draw us near to God. And it is through Jesus Christ, not the law, not the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, that we could ever begin to draw near to God. Now, as you continue on, what does that mean? If you look over in verse 24 through 26... Let me read these. It says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Christ, by the nature of his indestructible life, this blameless pure, holy, set-apart life, now can save us completely. Can save us completely. No matter where you've been, no matter how far you've ever been away from God, no matter what you've done, Jesus can now save completely. And he will constantly be interceding on your behalf. That's what's so important with him being our high priest. It's through him we draw near to God. It's through his holy perfection that we draw near to God. It is not, it is not by our own works. It is not by the law. It is not by what we have done, but it is through Christ and Christ alone as our high priest. Now, as, as we think about this, We don't struggle with going back into saying the priesthood of Levitical life, the Aaron priesthood, is something that we are going to follow, right? Most of you aren't practicing Jews or never have practiced Judaism. So some of this is like, okay, how does this translate? But there is one thing that we do try to do, and that is to live by the law. And let me tell you that that law, and and what, what do I mean by law? I mean being religious, okay? All of us know, and I I hope you think when someone says being religious, I hope you think that's a negative term, (laughs) one. Being religious is not what God has asked us to do, okay? What does it mean to be religious? Well, an idea might be that if someone said, well, are, are you a Christian? And you say, well, yeah, I read my Bible and go to church. If that's your response, you might be religious, Right. If you are afraid of death, you might be religious. If you have sins that plague you your whole life, repetitively, over and over, never being able to overcome them, you may be religious. 
Because in Christ, there is freedom. Now, I know that steps on some toes. But the reality is, guys, when we see Christ as our high priest, the power that he has, the power of his indestructible life, means that we will be, we will be transformed when we fix our eyes on Christ. It's nothing you're going to do. If your response to whether or not you're going to get to heaven comes to, well, I read my Bible every day and I go to church every time the doors are open. Guys, that's being religious. The law was weak and useless. It could bring no one to perfection. Now, when I was thinking about this, and trying to, I, I encourage you guys to listen to David's sermon last week about what it means to know Christ, okay? Because this is part of the, our whole goal and is trying to say, well, how do we get to know Christ more? How, do we, how does it work? How do we come into relationship with God then, right? In 1 John, it says, there, there, if you love me, you will obey my commands, okay? Part of this is a shift in your mindset, there's a story about a, a, a professor at a Bible college, and he, had to, he actually resigned his position to take care of his wife who was suffering from Alzheimer's, okay? And he was telling this story, and he, and he was, in his letter of resignation, he talked about how, you know, 42 years earlier, he had made this legal decision when he said, I will, I will you know, in better, in, in sickness and in health, I will take care of you. He made this very legal decision. 42 years later, he said, it is not that I have to take care of my wife, but it's I get to take care of my wife. I get to love her because she loved me. Now, when we start talking about what it means to relate to God, my question to you when I, as, I, as I begin to close is this. When you begin to look at God and what he asked you to do and the passion to live a holy life, when you do it, is it like, man, I have to be good because the law tells me, the Bible says I have to do these things. Is it I have to? Or do we look at what God has told us? Do we look at Jesus? Do we fix our eyes upon him and say, wow, let me look at Jesus. Because when I look at him as my high priest and I realize he has saved me completely, when I realize that he has done everything that I ever need in, for, for, for life and godliness, when he has done all that for me and I fix my eyes upon him, that I look at him and I say, I get to follow Jesus Christ. I get the privilege to be a part of what he's doing on this kingdom. I get to live a life seeking after him with all my heart. I'm telling you right now, if we don't get to that pit place where we will look at Christ, guys, we're going to miss we're going to miss what God wants to do and how he wants to use you. You're going to miss on all the completion and all the maturity that we're talking about. But you have to fix your eyes on Christ. It's not the law. It's not doing because you have to. It is no longer that legal religious mentality that says this is a duty that I bear and it's a burden. Instead, we've got to shift our thinking. We've got to realize that this is something I get to do and Christ is actually going to live out through me when I fix my eyes upon him as my high priest. So I challenge you to look throughout scripture. I challenge you to and to see and to realize Christ is your high priest. He has done all that you need to be in relationship with God. It is not religiously earning your way, all right? But it's having a heart that says, I love you and I get to serve you. 
That's what will change you. That's what will transform you. Just ask you to bow in prayer. Father, I just, uh, I come before you and I, I pray that, that you will do all that you want through your word. God, I, I, I ask that those who are here might, might seek to understand you more. God, I pray for this church that we would not be a church that, that does religious things out of a duty or a feeling that we have to be something. But God, that we might be able to catch a picture of what it means to, to just fall in love with who you are knowing that the law is dead, knowing that Christ, you have done all that we could ever need to save us completely, once and for all on the cross. Father, I pray that you would just humble us, that we might give up our, our striving, and that we might cling to your cross and to Christ, our Savior and our King, our eternal priest who intercedes on behalf of us. just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.